Amen. Good to be here again this morning. As we carry on our study in the book of James, James was a, he's a wise guy, a wise man, let me leave it at that. But he lived and saw various levels of faith in people's lives. They look at his own life as the brother of Jesus and, and how he reacted to Jesus and how long it took him to finally realize that Jesus was Messiah, not just his big brother. And he became a church leader, the leader of the early church, and saw a lot of people go through a lot of struggles. And he saw people's faith in a lot of different ways. So when he gets to writing this letter, He's got a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, and he's harsh. He's black and white. James gives us no alibis or excuses. So we're going to look at a passage this morning that is, uh, well, let's just say it's wonderful. And we've entitled this morning's sermon, All of Your Tomorrows. We think a lot about tomorrow, and, and we should. We got things to do, people to care for. But how do we see those tomorrows? That is what James wants to encourage us with today. So let's just pray before we open the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who's here to teach us. We just pray that you would clear our minds and our hearts. And we would see through all else to your heart for us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in James chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 13. We'll get it up there on the wall for you. Or if you've got your, you can scroll along with us if you like. He starts with this kind of casual chiding thing. I'm not really sure the attitude behind these words, but he says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and, and, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Thanks, James. Carrying on. Instead... You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See what I mean? Two by four. He, he's not saying, first of all, let's clarify, he's not saying you shouldn't make a profit or, or travel or do business. That's not the problem. The person who says, tomorrow I'm going to do nothing, it's the same problem. The problem is not considering God's role in tomorrow. Not knowing in every thought that God is God. We, we, we don't want to get to the place where we'd say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and yeah, I'll go to church on Sundays. The sort of, just in case. Oh, 
God has so much more for us than that. We want to plan. We want to do our things, but we want to keep in mind that God's will is first and foremost. So many places we're told throughout Scripture, God's will can never be changed. The storms can't stop him. Empires can't stop him. He has a plan. He has a mission. And we have the joy of seeing the inside of that, of knowing that we are his children and that he cares about us and that, yes, we're going to be responsible with our business and our homes and our investments and our lawn and whatever, but we see all of that stuff as part of that faith, as part of what belongs to God. We just get to do it. And he comes down hard at the end. He says, if we plan our lives without considering God's will, without always being dependent on God's will, we're arrogant. It's evil. It's sin. That sounds really hard. But we have to remember the context. This is the God who sent his son to die for us. This is the God who's been so patient with humanity for thousands of years. He sent prophets. He gave his word. And finally sent his son. Because the prophets and the word weren't enough to change us on the inside. Weren't enough to bring us closer to our creator. To make us the people he intended us to be. And so he sent his son. On one hand, as a payment for all of our shortcomings. Sins, failures, weaknesses, humanity. He paid for that on the cross. On the other hand, to rise victorious over death and suffering and to send his spirit to live in us once he had accomplished that. So that's the picture that we're talking about. That's what James has in mind when he says, if you choose to ignore that, it's evil. If you choose to reject that character of God, that history of God, you're sinning. That's all. If you see yourself as God on the throne, and every now and then you send a, you know, a telegram up to God or a request or a text saying, yeah, could you help me out here? I'm doing these great things. No, that's just evil. Because it questions the character of God. It actually puts doubt on the value of his son if we say, well, I, I don't really need Jesus. I'm pretty good. I can keep, you know, doing this on my own. Maybe every now and then it'd be good if God helped out, but no, 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 no. God is the main player in your story. In fact, what James says is really close to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. So let's just take a look at that. Jesus says, starting in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And he concludes with this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. <laughs> Sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. Don't borrow tomorrow's <laughs> worries. Just live today. Yes, plan on going to another town and making a profit. Plan on whatever you're planning on. But, but remember God. Remember that you are a child of a loving father. Remember that that father happens to be the sovereign of the universe. And we need to always be reminded of that. Well, let's back up again to James. We're going to pick out two main points. So again, from the beginning, 4, 13 to 17, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? The other slide has it in yellow, the last sign. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, if you don't believe in God, that's a scary thing. If you believe that you are the center of your universe, that's terrifying. You've got to do something. You've got to make your life worth something. You've got to build monuments. Or you, you've got to leave a legacy. You, you, you. If you don't have God, that's an awful thing. But if you know your heavenly father, oh, what a relief. I don't have to do that stuff. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to make the monuments that we are so often tempted to make because you know what? I'm just here for a little bit and it's just the beginning and I'm just living in God's world. He is my monument. <laughs> what a relief. It's like a flower that people are planting now and it's gonna grow and it's gonna be beautiful for a short period of time and gone. A sunset. We have amazing sunsets and sunrises, but how long do they last? Two, three, four minutes. But they're beautiful and we enjoy them. When your father looks at your human life, he doesn't say, why aren't you doing more? What have you done for me lately? He says, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a relief to know that our lives are in his hands, that they're not something that we're left alone to build on. We are loved by our Father. All right, let's look at the second thing then. In the next passage... He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. A lot of us that grew up in the church heard that a lot, and we should have. If the Lord wills. In some ways, it sounds like just a kind of punctuation that Christians use. If the Lord wills, we're going to have church, you know, if the Lord wills, good Lord willing, we're going to have Sunday school start, you know, good Lord willing, the creek don't rise, and, it, it sounds like it could just become a cliche, but we can't let it. Because we are dependent on our God, and we need to remind ourselves and each other constantly that his will is first and foremost. Now, there's a tricky thing there, because sometimes we try to figure out the will of God. And there are important decisions we have to make, going to school, getting married, getting a job. There's things that we ask God his will in. And sometimes he gives us hints, and sometimes he doesn't. But that kind of knowing the next step isn't the will of God idea that we're talking about. We're talking about being 
dust on the wind of God. And he blows where he wants to, and, and, and we, we go, and it's his will, and we know it. We're grateful for what he's done. We're trusting him for what he's going to do, but it's his will that guides our lives, and we're just reminding ourselves of that. We can't promise that we can meet next week. We can't guarantee that the sun will rise tomorrow. I mean, sure, it has for however long we expect it to, but things could change as quickly as God wants them to. So we say, if the Lord wills. We punctuate our goals and our thoughts and our hopes by saying, as long as it's within the will of God. That's what I'm relying on. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that in the will of God. Again, though, he's very harsh. He says, you have to. You need to. If you don't, you're hurting yourself. If you don't, it's evil. If you don't, it's sin. And you're only hurting yourself and those you love. If the Lord wills, that's a phrase to build our lives on to remind ourselves that we are in the hands of God, no matter what. It's encouraging, it's a relief, and sometimes it's really hard. Because we want to take the reins. We want to say, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, so I'm going to make this happen. It's, it's, it's hard. But we need it. We need it. I heard a very wise Christian man a while ago said, if you can worry, you can meditate. And we, we often think about meditating as a weird spiritual experience. Worrying just means you're meditating on all that could go wrong, thinking of all of the possible failures that could happen. So if you can do that, then you could also think about the faithfulness of God in your life so far, how he's proven his word. Another explanation I heard was that worrying is betting against God. Worrying is thinking maybe God doesn't have control. And we say, well, but bad things happen. Yes, they do. But it doesn't take God's power away, and nothing bad is outside of God's redemption. He can take anything that happens and turn it into beauty if we keep our eyes on him and on his will. And sometimes it's hard. But it's this serious that we, by worrying, question God's character. And that's why James is so hard on it. But let's look at how this phrase is used a couple other times in the New Testament. In Acts 18, it's talking about Paul and his travels. On taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. That was his way of saying goodbye. When he's writing a letter to the Corinthians, early on in the letter, chapter 419, he says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. There's a conflict going on that he wants to settle. That's early in the letter. Later in the letter, he says, I do not want to see you just in passing. 
He says, I, I want to arrange some time with you, but not just zipping through. I want to spend some time. So he says, I don't want to see you just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Hmm. The writer to the Hebrews includes this. He says, this we will do if God permits. Peter, big, strong Peter. He says, it's better, for, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In the end, it's God's will. The word that all these people used was if. If, if, if they didn't know 100% what God's will was for them. They didn't know 100% what was gonna happen tomorrow. Here we have Paul, pretty good guy, pretty wise guy, leading churches, planting churches, igniting missionaries. I mean, he, he, man, he looks like the CEO of the early church. But everything he does, he says, if it's the Lord's will. I, I don't know, but I'm stepping out of faith. Wow. You'd think a man in that position should have a sense of authority and confidence. Well, he had a sense of God's authority and a confidence in God and everything he did, he said, if it's the Lord's will. And if you read through his letters and his life, you find out that some of the things he expected to do didn't happen. They weren't in God's will after all. And that wasn't a failure on his part. He was just stepping out in faith. If it's the Lord's will. If. Peter, amazing story there too. If it's the Lord's will, he says. Some of the greatest early voices of the early church said if. God inspired them, God used them, and they lived by if. If it's God's will, we will do this or that. Back to James 4.13, because I just want to highlight that one sentence in the middle there again. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That's, that's how serious James wants us to take this, that if we choose to live our lives as if we are the masters and God is simply there to help us out in hard times, it's arrogance. It, it looks like confidence. Our world likes that. Our culture says that's good. Be strong, be confident, take over. Name it, claim it, vision and, and let people fall. God says, be confident in God. And if, you, if you're not sure if you can trust him, get back to the foot of the cross. How can we say that we trust God with our eternity if we can't trust him with our lunch? How can we claim to be people of faith who have heaven waiting for us, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and we're afraid? It's, it's arrogance and it's evil. That's harsh. And we need to work on it. We need to work on it in our lives. It's not a new idea, though. As I mentioned, Jesus said almost the same thing. Here's some other reminders from Scripture. Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Hmm. 
not boasting. So in other words, you're saying, if it's the Lord's will, if the Lord wills, this is what I plan on doing tomorrow. Not boasting about tomorrow, because you do not know. There's a book that I've, I've mentioned before. Um, it's this amazing story about a man who simply lived by faith. His name was Don Bauman. And he was an American, grew up, followed Jesus, was active with YWAM and some other mission organizations and some NGOs and was in Central Asia, spent time in Afghanistan and, and that whole area, lived there and really understood uh, the life there. You know, if you read his story, um, it's called Imprisoned in Iran, and we'll put it up on the board for you. He, he went through some amazing experiences, but he was living in Turkmenistan, next door to Iran, and he found out that there was a lot of Turkmen people living in Iran. And so he decided, because he could travel a bit, he was going to go into Iran and meet some of these Turkmen people and try to connect them with the Christian Turkmen people in Turkmenistan. He wasn't going to do any preaching. He wasn't going to, he was just going to go and make contacts for two weeks. So he left Turkmenistan. He went, got into Iran, met the people. It was a good time. Two weeks. Did all that he wanted to do. Was leaving the country and got to the border showed his passport and they said, you don't have a stamp. He was missing an exit visa that he should have gotten from a government office before trying to leave the country. So they looked deeper into his passport and found out he has two passports, dual citizenship. His mother, I believe it was his mother, was Swiss and he was traveling on a Swiss passport, but his dad was American and he also had an American passport. Red lights, <laughs> they assumed he was CIA that he was doing who knows what in Iran. He was put in prison. He had two death sentences placed on him. It was not a nice prison. But he spoke Farsi fluently, the, 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 the general language in Iran. So he knew what the guards were saying, but he knew it too much because his cell was near their little lunchroom. So all night long, the guards would sit in the lunchroom and talk, and he couldn't sleep because he just... But he knew what they were saying. They hated him. They assumed he was an American spy, and, and they were looking forward to him being killed. It was hard. He says in his book that he got to the point of committing suicide, had it planned, went through the process, and at the last minute just couldn't do it. And he had no contact with the outside world. He had no idea what was going on. Nine weeks Nine weeks of sleepless nights and suffering and not knowing why God had let this happen. After nine weeks, there had been all kinds of things happening on the outside world to get him released, and finally he was released. He talks about getting on the airplane and flying, and the pilot told him when they had flown over the Iranian border, and it wasn't until then that he could relax. But even the next part of his life, he lived in fear that anyone around him could be someone who was there to get him. And he had to go through serious counseling. And as he wrote the book, looking back, he had no idea why. Now, there were some interesting conversations that he heard the guards having about Jesus that they probably wouldn't have had if he wasn't there, but he doesn't know why God let that happen. 
How many times do we say, God, take my life. Take my life and let it be glorifying to you. Well, do, do we mean that when he does that? When it's the hard times and not just the time when we get to stand up and, you know, do the fun stuff. It can be hard. Some of you will remember these five men. Roger Udarian, Peter Fleming, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley. There's five young men, some of them with families, missionaries in South America. Concerned for the people living there, 1956. Civilization, so-called, was moving into the jungles and it had bumped up against a small tribe called the Elka Indians. They're actually, that wasn't their name, that's what the other people called them, it just means savages. They call themselves the people, which most tribes do. The problem was that these Elk Indians were living in fear of the world coming in, and so they were very violent, not only with each other, but any type of government or, or, or contractor or construction, they would attack. And the government had had enough, and they were just going to move in. And these guys decided, we need to give this people a chance. So we're going to go and contact these people with a gospel before the government just gets rid of them. And they had ways of making contact, and, and things looked good. Finally, these five guys got in an airplane and landed on the beach of the Amazon. And they met the people, and they gave them gifts. They found a camera later of pictures of them meeting these people and just having a time together. And then warriors killed all five of them. <clears throat> Front page news. Why would God let that happen? Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, decided they were going to go and live in that village. So they did. They just moved in to the people that had killed those five men. They lived there and they planted the church. Nine years later, Nate Saints, two of Nate Saints' kids were baptized on the bank of the Amazon by two of the men who had killed their dad. Oh, why does God let this stuff happen? I heard Elizabeth Elliot speaking years later, and she talked about that time in the village, and they had been working on a translation of the Bible translation of the gospel in their language. It is the Amazon. There's rains and there's floods. One night, the rains came and washed away all the work that they had done, all the papers. And so they prayed, God, God, help us. We put so much into this. They scoured the banks of the river and they didn't find one page. Why? Hmm. They didn't know. But they started over and they got the gospel translated. Amazing. One of the strangest things that happened as those men were dying on the beach, though, the villagers that had attacked them heard singing, and they looked up, and, and the sky was open, and bright light was there, and what we would say, choirs of angels were singing as these men died. And so Elizabeth Elliot wrote the story, and it was called Through Gates of Splendor, because that's how the villagers described it. A couple decades later, 
Steve St. Nate's son wrote the story again because some things had come to light that they hadn't known at the time about why. It was just a petty little thing among some of the villagers that led to the massacre. Steve St. still lives in Ecuador, or at least did the last I heard, and he has brought education to those people. He's, he's taught them, he's got a, a university basically in the jungle and they've been able to maintain their way of life and the gospel and survive with the world around them. It's amazing stories. Why did God let those things happen? Why? If, it's the same as the word, if, if, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, these five men are gonna to go to the beach, witness, and, and, and we'll be able to save these people, literally, physically, from the government, who want, but also their souls. Well, that wasn't God's will. God's will was that their wife and sister would go in and do that, and it would just transform the whole area. If, if. So what is your story? You have stories. Some of you have had hard stories. Maybe not like Dan Bauman or Elizabeth Elliot, but cancer. Bankruptcy, divorce, things that you never would have expected a loving God would allow in your life. But if, if it's the Lord's will, whatever the Lord's will is. And so many people, when they go through hard times like that, they, they, they look back and they say, I never felt closer to God than in that hard time. It's amazing, amazing testimony. But you know what, I think it's harder just in day-to-day -day life to have that attitude. Because so many things happen to us where we think, <clears throat> where we forget that God is involved in our daily lives. And they're real things that happen to us at the moment. Something that cuts you off in traffic. <clears throat> Wait a minute. That only happened because it's God's will. Keep that in mind. Know who you are behind that steering wheel. Child of God, loved. Jesus died for you, no less at that moment than any other. Keep it in God's will. You're driving away from the drive-through, no straw in the bag. It's frustrating, but it's not outside of God's will. So at that moment, if God wills, live with it. Don't step outside of being saved at that moment and thinking you've got to handle this on your own. You've got to write some letters. Who are you at every moment? What is your faith really worth? Do you live with God? Is he there? Are you aware of it? And James says, if not, it is sin. To forget that God's will is first and foremost is sin. That's how serious it is. But, but the good news is we get to, we get to know that a missing straw or a bad driver or a disease or a pandemic 
is not outside of the will of God for our lives. And even if we suffer through it, that doesn't mean it's outside of the will of God. It doesn't mean we're being punished. I mean, God is bigger than that. God is bigger than our pain. God is bigger than our confusion. And we have to be in that moment knowing this is God's will. It doesn't mean he likes it. Doesn't mean he wanted me to suffer, but it's not outside of his will for me. I am his child. My job is to know him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. How do you seek the kingdom of God? How do you try to experience the kingdom of God when things are going bad? Seek first the kingdom. Live in that kingdom first and foremost. Let that kingdom be who you are. It's hard, but man, we need it. We need to grow in it. We, we need to encourage each other in faith. We need to live the gospel. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, I'll conclude with this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, even a little tiny ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Hmm. Paths are to walk on. We're walking, we're moving, we're doing, but we're doing it in faith. We want to know God more. We want to know the value of his love more. We want to be his. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Last night I got a phone call. My son, Logan, my youngest, some of you know him, 31, was driving with his family, and he had a stroke. And they were able to get the, the, uh, the minivan off to the side of the road without an accident. We're thankful for that. And they got an ambulance and rushed him to Fort Mac Hospital. It took a while, but they finally did diagnose it as a stroke. And they flew him to Edmonton. And the last I heard... Um, he was awake and talking, which is a really good sign. Uh, one of the legs that had been paralyzed, he started to have a bit of movement in it. But his arm, there's no, no movement in it, the last I heard. The wife and three kids, and he's 31. And it's hard. But what choice do we have but to trust a loving father and saying, I know it's in his will. I don't know how, but I know it is. And I'm clinging to that.